The promise was made to them that the land would be theirs, that the land would come into their possession at some point in time. But year passed after year passed until some 500 years passed and that promise had not yet been fulfilled. But finally, the fruition of this promise finally came into view and the land is there. The land that they've been promised is in their sight. It's right there for them. They are about to take it, but there's something in the way. There's a giant body of water, a giant river that is standing between them and this land that has been promised to them, and they know that they can't get across this body of water without the help of Almighty God. And so the promise maker, God himself, tells his people, the nation of Israel, he says, I'm going to stop the river. I'm going to miraculously, with my power, stop this water from flowing, and you're going to be able to cross on dry ground. But he says there's a stipulation. He says you can't go across this dry ground, you can't go across the river, you can't get into the promised land until the Ark of the Covenant goes before you. Well, why is this so significant? Well, we understand that the Ark of the Covenant represented Almighty God. It represented his person. It represented his presence, his holiness. It represented the fact that God was with them. And so the Ark of the Covenant was going to go before them, and it was going to lead them to where they needed to go in the promised land. But in Joshua chapter 3 and in verse 4, what I, I find it so very interesting, the way Joshua talks and the language that he uses because in a, in a very real sense, he's talking to his people and he says, I know that we're going into some uncharted territory. He says, I know we're going into a land that we don't know. I know we're going into a land where we are foreigners. We're going to, into an area that we've never been before. And he says, because of that, I want you to follow God. And he says, I want you to follow God specifically because you have not passed this way before. He says, I want you to go into this land a land you've never been, a land that's been promised. You're seeing the fulfillment of this promise finally come to fruition, but you haven't been here before. And because of that, I want you to follow God. This morning, we have an opportunity presented before us to honor our high school graduates. And after this morning's uh, worship service, we're going to have an opportunity to enjoy a meal together, to have a short presentation, and to highlight each of our graduates. And I hope that you all have plans to stay for that. But when I think about this, this state of life in which our graduates are, and this area of life in which each of these young people are about to pass through, the, the challenges that they have faced, the victories that each of our young people have won, the, the laughs and the tears, everything that they've been through, it's made each of these young people exactly who they are this very morning. But you see, they're getting ready to go into the unknown, aren't they? They're getting ready to close one chapter and open up a brand new chapter. They're going into what we might call uncharted territory. They're going into a land that they've never been before. That can be scary, can't it? The unknown can be frightening because we simply just don't know what's in store. We don't know what it is that's before us, and thus that can be frightening at times. And as much as you plan, 
as much as you strategize, as much as you formulate what you want to do in your mind, sometimes it doesn't quite go the way that you thought it would. So what do you do? What do you do in order to be successful as you are getting ready to go into an area, into a land that you have never, ever been before? I want to present to you this morning four different things that I think will be extremely beneficial to each of our graduates. But here's the amazing thing. When we talk about Scripture, when we talk about the Word of God, it is certainly applicable to every single person. And so I hope that there is something that you can pull from this lesson today that will be beneficial to you in your life, regardless of your age, regardless of your spiritual maturity. Here's number one. When it comes to us going into uncharted territory, we have to understand that we must plan purposefully. When it comes into going into a land that we've never been before, we must plan purposefully. How many times do you and I make plans in life and then unfortunately those plans fall through? Probably often more times than we wish. We try to plan to ensure that certain things take place, that certain things go a certain way because it means you have control over the situation. We all want to be able to control our situation, to control the things that are going on in our lives. Now, maybe you're like me. I'm a little bit more laid back, I guess. And sometimes, I guess I just don't really care what happens. I just go with the flow. Whatever happens, happens. It doesn't bother me that much. But sometimes we have to make plans, don't we? And that's certainly necessary because if we don't, then who knows what will take place in certain situations. But you see, when we talk about this idea of planning purposefully in our lives, you and I understand that there is one thing, there is one thing above everything else for which every single person must plan. I think about what the Apostle Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 13. Paul is talking to these Christians who were at Philippi. This encouraging letter, he's, he's talking all of, to all of these people from a prison cell as he writes this letter. And notice what he says. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but notice this, but one thing I do. One thing that I understand, Paul says, one thing that I'm able to comprehend, one thing that I'm willing to carry out. Paul, what is it? Paul, what is this one thing that you are purposefully planning for and thinking about in your mind? What is this one thing? Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am purposefully planning my life, Paul says, for what is out there that is in front of me. He says, I know that I have a past. I know that there are things in my past of which I am not proud. There are sins, there are mistakes, there are bad choices and bad decisions in my past and in my life, but I have forgotten those things. And Paul says, I am focusing, I am planning for this one goal. He says, I press towards my goal. I press towards my prize. Paul says, I understand how personal this is, how this prize belongs to me because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Paul says, I've planned all of my life around this. There is one thing, one goal for which I am planning, and that goal is heaven. That's how much it meant to Paul. That's how purposeful in his planning he was because of how important this goal was to him. But see, how was Paul able to do this? How was Paul able to purposefully plan this goal? Because he fixed his mind on living for Christ. Everything about the apostle Paul was completely centered and revolved around his savior. 
Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1 verse 21. Everything Paul says in my life has to do with Jesus Christ. Everything that I have done from the point to where I became a Christian to now to where I'm writing this letter has centered and revolved around my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Young people, as you embark upon this new stage in your life, this new journey in your life, you make plans where you are going as it concerns your education. You make plans as to where you are going as it concerns your job and as it concerns your living arrangements and whatever it might be, you have plans for these next few months and years. Don't forget to purposefully plan for the most important thing, that being heaven. You and I have a date with our judge. We understand that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. It's a date that you and I will not miss regardless of what it is that we have going on. It's a date that we will not, for which we will not be late. Are you ready for that date with your judge? I've been crucified with Christ. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, notice this. He says, his life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do you go about your life? How do you go about living your life and planning your life? You do so with your faith in Almighty God. Here's number two. As you go into uncharted territory, I want you to prepare prayerfully. As you go into a land you've never been before, I want you to prepare prayerfully. I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it as long as I am preaching the gospel. One of the greatest blessings that you and I have as Christians is the ability to pray. The fact that our God, our creator, has allowed us a line of communication, direct communication between him and between us, it's simply remarkable. The fact that our high and that our holy, magnificent, and all-powerful creator is allowing us to even communicate, to even talk to him in the first place to appeal to him, to request of him, to, to, to bring our burdens to him. It's just simply unfathomable. It's hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our minds around. And yet, unfortunately, prayer so many times is often misused and even abused at times. See, when the sun's shining, when the birds are chirping, all things seem to be going in the right direction, we so oftentimes fail to communicate to the one who gave us all of those good things in life. We fail to thank him and to continue living our lives without any communication with him. But when those blue skies around us begin to darken, when they begin to turn gray, when there's thunder and lightning and all of these horrible things around us, that's when our knees tend to hit the ground and our eyes tend to go up. It's such a wrong picture. When you think about prayer, we understand that we pray at all times. Why is it that so many times we forget about the one who gives us those good things? James chapter 1 and verse 17. The one that even allows us the opportunity to enjoy those good opportunities is the one that we so oftentimes block out of our lives. And then when something happens and it seems that we can't get any lower on the ground than where we already are is when we decide to turn back and look at our creator. You see, when we talk about prayer, we understand that it should precede everything. In fact, when Paul was talking to Timothy in the first letter that he wrote to him, he said in chapter two, beginning of verse one, notice his language. He says, therefore, I exhort, notice this, first, I exhort first of all that supplications, 
prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Paul didn't say, oh, wait, before I forget. Paul didn't say, oh, I guess I should mention this here at the beginning. Oh, yeah, I forgot to talk about things. Let me, let me rewind and go back. No, he says, I exhort you first with prayer. Before anything and before everything, prayer should commence. Graduates, as you begin this new life in your journey, as you begin this new step, this new walk, you pray to God. As you go through this journey, you pray to God. When you come out on the other side, you pray to God. When you are successful, when you have failed, when you are seeing the blessings of God, when you think that you're alone, you pray to Almighty God. You see, God has communicated to us through his word. What a blessing that is. I think sometimes we take that for granted. The fact that we have God's holy word within our hands. And yet we also understand that we have the blessing of prayer. And that means that we are then able to talk back to God. That we have a line of communication. He talks to us through his word. We talk to him through prayer. You can't overuse prayer. You can't say too many things in your prayer. You can't bring too many burdens to God in prayer, but certainly you can underuse and sometimes you can even abuse prayer. Here's number three. Proceed positively. When it comes to us going into uncharted territory, as we begin new chapters in life, as we go out into a world where we don't know what's waiting for us, we must proceed positively. You see, our attitudes have everything to do with our outlook on life. The right attitude is simply priceless to have when it comes to us being Christians in this life. Whether it be in our secular world, whether it be in our spiritual lives, having a positive attitude is a unifier and an edifier when it comes to building up. Leo Buscalia said this. He said, why isn't the world a better place? Question mark. He said, it will only be time wasted talking about thinking about that question. He said, the question to ask is, how can I make it better? To that, there is an answer. It is so easy, isn't it, for us to look around at our world. It's so easy for us to look outside the walls of this building, outside the walls of being with our family here at church and think, why is it so bad? It's easy for us to look out into our world and to think, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much discouragement? Why is there so much depression? Why is there so much demoralization of our country, of our world? Why are all of these bad things happening? But you see, until you and I are able to look within ourselves, until we're able to look within our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, then we too become a part of the problem. Until you and I understand that, we cannot be a part of the solution. Until we understand that I'm responsible for me. Until you and I can't understand that we're responsible for our attitudes, for our hearts, for our minds. I just might be able to help the problem. Here's something that we have to understand. When it comes to our attitudes, we understand this. Positive Christianity is a result of an I can attitude. Positive Christianity is a result of an I can attitude. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, famous verse, everybody knows that the apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. What is Paul talking about? Back up two verses. What's he talking about? He's talking about how Paul himself is able to be content. That in whatever state he is, whatever's going on around him, whatever cards he is being dealt in this life, he says, I can do what God would have me to do in this life. Regardless of whatever it might be, Paul says, I can. I can accomplish what God wants me to do because I am placing my trust in him. But you see, sometimes along the ways, we think about this idea of having a positive attitude. Sometimes along the way, we encounter something called criticism. Sometimes in our walks of life, whatever it is that we might be doing, however well we might be doing them, we're going to encounter criticism. You know, sometimes in life we need criticism, don't we? And sometimes it can be a little bit of a, of a bubble buster, can't it? You can think you're doing so well. Maybe you think you're doing what you need to do and somebody offers criticism and bam, you think, what in the world did I do wrong? Surely there was nothing I could have done that was wrong. Sometimes it can rain on our parade and sometimes we allow it to dampen our positive attitude. Sir John Simon said this, he said, to escape criticism, merely say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. And then Harrison Postulet also said this, for every action, there is an equal and opposite criticism. Young people, let me tell you this. As you go through life, you're going to receive criticism. You already have, and you're going to encounter more. In fact, if it were possible to please every single person, we wouldn't be pleasing to Jesus because of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 26. He said, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. We understand we can't please everyone. Thus, we're going to receive criticism from time to time. So how do you deal with it? When you have a positive attitude, we understand we're required to do that but then you encounter criticism. How do I maintain a positive attitude through all of that that's going around me? Here's number one. I want to give you quickly three things. Number one, don't give up doing what is good. That's number one. That's how you maintain a positive attitude even through your criticism. You don't give up what is good. James Crooks said this. He said, if you want to lead the orchestra, you have to turn your back to the audience. Think about this. Think about all of the pioneers in our world who have gone before us. Think about all of these inventors in our world who have invented things and then were criticized for them. Think about the horse and buggy. The horse and buggy passed the modern day car time and time again as if the modern day car was standing still and people laughed. The electric light bulb, it was so dim when it first came out that people had to use gas lamps to even look at it. The first airplane, it came down after only being in the air for 59 seconds and people laughed. Here's the point. Sometimes we can focus on criticism that we hear. Some good, some bad. But sometimes we can allow it to shift our attention from the work that we have that is set before us. Sometimes we can allow ourselves to be so critic-centered and lose sight of our one goal. Philippians chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 13, like we talked about a minute ago. Sometimes we can lose sight of that one goal and what it truly should be in this life. Proverbs 26 and verse 4 Solomon said, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Young people, sometimes people criticize for the wrong reasons. 
Those are the people that you shut out. But here's number two. Excuse me. Wayne Jackson said this before we move on. He said, the train doesn't slow down when a stray dog barks at it. We could spend all day long, couldn't we, focusing on every single critic that is out there in this world. But certainly that would be time wasted. Focus on your goal at hand and don't lose sight of it. Here's number two. When we talk about this idea of a positive attitude, enduring criticism, see it as an opportunity for growth. Solomon had a lot to say about this. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 33, he said, hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Proverbs 15 verse 32, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul and he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. Proverbs 27 and verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful friends are very, very few, but here's the point that he's making. If you and I need to make a change in our lives, don't let the fact that a critic is pointing it out to stop you from growing. Don't let the fact that a critic is trying to help you improve, don't let that stop you from doing the improving. No one is perfect. We understand that. Romans 3 and verse 23, thus we can all benefit from criticism. Someone once said, most of the unfortunate things in my life were caused by one person, and that one person was me. We have the free will to make choices, don't we? We have the free will to do whatever it is that we want to do in this life, but just because we have freedom concerning those choices doesn't mean that we have the freedom to escape the consequences of our choices. We're going to have to answer for the things that we have done. Don't let critics stop you from growing and from improving. Here's number three, the idea of humility. The idea of humility. Have you ever thought about how hard it is to offend someone who's humble? Which I guess begs us to ask the question, if you're easily offended, perhaps that means it's time for maybe an attitude check when it comes to the way that we uh, view life and the way that we view people around us. But I think about Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning of verse 23. The Bible says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the, rich, the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. I must never, ever be afraid to say that I was wrong. I must never, ever be afraid. I must never, ever be too prideful to admit that I was wrong. Humility is required in order for growth to take place. You see, if you and I want to maintain positive attitudes, we must understand that criticism is coming, but we must also understand how to accept it and how to grow with it. Here's number four, the last one for this morning. When it comes to us going into uncharted territory, when it comes to us going into waters that we have never been before, pursue persistently. Pursue persistently. It's been said before that if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing not only right, but also with all of your might. Colossians 3 and verse 17, Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3 verse 23, later in that chapter, and whatever you do, Paul says, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, Solomon says, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The idea of persistence. That whatever task is before me, whatever job it is that I must do, whatever assignment is required of me, whatever path, on, I, whatever path I'm going on, I'm going to do it with everything that I have. That regardless of what comes against me, whatever tries to hold me back, I'm going to persistently press towards my one goal that I have in this life. That I'm going to be persistently diligent with what it is that I have before me. That I'm going to be persistently faithful when it comes to me as a Christian. Here's how I do it. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Everything that you and I have discussed is summed up with having the same mind as Jesus Christ. You've never passed this way before. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what lies in wait for you. You don't know what's around the next door, what's around the next bend. You need help. You need guidance. You need people around you. You need God, your Father, on your side. If you and I, as Christians, as individuals who live in this world, if we wish to be successful, then we cling ever closely to this book and to the author of it. I want to close this morning by going to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I hope you turn with me. As we talk about our young people this morning, what an encouragement they are to us. What a delight it is to see these young people living their lives for God, doing all that they can to be successful in this world, but trying, trying to be faithful Christians in this life. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, notice with me, beginning of verse 1. Solomon, when we, look about, when we look at the life of Solomon, we understand Solomon was a troubled man. Solomon, even though in all his wisdom, looked for happiness, for joy in all of the wrong places. And he finally concludes it there at the end of this chapter, talking about fearing God, keeping his commandments, understanding that thou, that is how someone is truly successful in this life. But notice how he begins chapter 12. Beginning of verse 1, he says, Remember now your Creator and the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Young people, remember your Creator. Whatever your age might be, whatever spiritual walk you might be walking in, remember your creator. Because you and I understand that as we live our lives, if we were to live our lives forgetting about who gives us all good things, James 1 and verse 17, who gives us all blessings, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, if we live our lives and completely block out the one who is helping us through, then heaven will not be our home. I hope heaven is your home. I hope heaven is your goal. I hope that you are persistently pursuing and planning for that one thing like the Apostle Paul was. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Maybe you want to begin that journey. Maybe you want to begin that walk right now. Know that you can do that this morning. We can baptize you in the water. That water washing away your sins as a representation of the blood of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood for you, and now you can have a hope of a home in heaven with him. Maybe you're here this morning. Perhaps you are a Christian, but maybe... There's sin in your life. Maybe you need to come forward and publicly repent of something that you have done in your life. You want people here to know that you have put that behind you, that you have repented, you have turned your life back to God, and you want us to pray for you. Know that we can do that. We will forgive you. God will forgive you, and we'll do all that we can to build you up, to encourage you, and to help press you on. Every single day, we go through uncharted territories. 
Every single day we go through uncharted waters. Every single day we go somewhere that we have not passed before. As you go through, don't ever, ever, ever forget about your God who loves you so dearly. Let's stand and sing this morning.